together. James 4, verses 13 through 17. If you'd like to stand, you can. And uh, I'm going to read the text together. And then I'll pray. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. And all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Father in heaven, I, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for uh, the gathering of the saints. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your truth. Father, I pray that you would enable us to see, empower us to see, give us the right perspective to see that our life is, is very brief and that we're only here but a moment. Father, enable us to see the will of God for our brief moment here. God, help us to seize that opportunity. God, you've given us a day. God, we have today. I pray that we would use it for your glory. I pray that you bring an awakening in our city. I pray that you would bring revival to our church. I pray, Father, that you give us joy in all that you are and all that you will be. Father, please bring obedience to us today. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. So I, I wonder if when I read that, you know, you're looking at, okay, so what, what do these guys say? The, you know, James says, come now, you, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to go to such and such a place, a town, you know, this place, a city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to trade, make some money, you know. And I, I, think, I think a lot of us would say, what's wrong with that? You know, like, like in, isn't that smart? Like the book of Proverbs tells us to be like the ant, you know, who gathers our, 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 our food in, in summer and gets ready for the winter. And, you know, what, what's wrong with making goals? What's wrong with planning? In fact, some of you might even ask, when the way I read this is James against goals. Is he against plans? Is he against us looking ahead, you know, a year, two years, three years, five years in the future and saying, you know, hey, I've got this vision for a business. Or I got this vision for uh, my family. Or I got this vision for a trip. Or I got this vision, you know, is, is James against goals? Is he against planning? And, and the answer to that is no, okay? So, in fact, the Bible is very pro you thinking ahead, all right? Um, there's lots of great examples in the Scriptures of, of men who, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, were, you know, planning ahead. One of my favorites is Romans 15, okay? I'm going to take you through this real quick, and then actually we're going to come back to it in the end, okay? So in Romans 15, you've got the Apostle Paul, and, and he says in, in verse 20, he says, thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. So Paul says, you know what ambition is, right? Paul says, it's my goal, it's my ambition to preach the gospel where nobody else has preached the gospel. And then he starts making some plans. And so notice in verse 23, Paul says, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, since I have longed for many years to come to you, he's talking about Rome, this is written to the Romans, okay? 
He says in verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And at present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Man, Paul's, Paul's got some plans, doesn't he? Uh, he's going to Jerusalem and going to bring an offering for the relief to the saints. And then he's going to travel from Jerusalem to Rome. And by the way, you know, when, when he talks about traveling, you know, you and I, we get on a plane, we're there tomorrow, you know. Paul, like, started off and he'd be there in, you know, six months, right, or a year, you know. And so, so he says, I'm going to Jerusalem, bring an offering, and then I'm going to go to Rome, and then I'll spend a little time with you there and be encouraged, and then I want you to help me go to Spain, which was literally, for Paul, the end of the earth, right? And so, so man, Paul, Paul made plans. Paul had ambitions. Paul had goals, all right? And so, so there's nothing wrong with that. I think most of us should be a little bit more ambitious, right? We should be a little bit more, you know, gung-ho about what has God planned and, and what kind of ambition. So, so what's, what's wrong with what James says here? What's wrong with these people that he's condemning? What, what's, what's wrong with what they say? You know, I mean, they're saying essentially the same thing, right? Today or tomorrow, we're going to go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. What's wrong with that? Well, you'll notice in verse 15, James corrects them, okay? So here's how we're going to figure out what's wrong, is that James is correcting them, okay? So in verse 15, he says, instead, all right? So he says, don't, don't say it this way. He says, rather, you should say it this way. You Don't think this way. You, you should think this way, all right? And here, here's how he says it in verse 15. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. All right, do you see the difference between that? So, so what he's condemning is people who say, hey, I got an idea. You know, we're going to go here, and we're going to spend a year there, and we've done our market analysis, and we've done our research, and we've had meetings, and, and we're skilled, and we got a good product, and so we're going to go here, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And they never consult the Lord. Like, it's never in their mind to say, well, what does God want? It's never in their mind to say, is this God's will? It's never in their mind to think, you know, what might God think about this? And so what James is condemning here, what he describes as arrogance, is, is leaving God out of your plans. Now, one of the questions I want to ask you is, is that a big deal? You know, was James a little hypersensitive here, you know? Is, is that a big deal to leave God out of your plans? Like, let's, let's just say, hey, I'm not doing anything bad. You know, it's not like I'm going to go hey, let's go rob banks, you know, we're going to rob banks in Booker and Pampa and Canadian and Amarillo, you know, I mean, obviously that's wrong, right, but what if you're just saying, hey, I'm going to go buy, I'm going to sell paper clips, you know, or I'm going to go this or that or whatever, I mean, is it really that big a deal just to ignore God? Is it that big a deal just to not consult him, ignore him, just not, you know, you're not saying anything bad about him, you're just, just you're, he's not a factor. Well, let me ask you this. A lot of you work for small businesses in Woodward, or maybe you have worked for a small business in Woodward. What if, what if, what if you guys had a meeting about the future of your business, right? And so at the meeting, you had the owner, and maybe you had the salesman, and uh, you had maybe the marketers and the office manager and the uh, um, workers or engineers, whoever, right? And you have this meeting, and it's about the future of our company, Right? And you get in there, and the owner of the company has printed out a nice little folder for everybody that says, you know, from the owner 
my vision for the company, right? And that's at everybody's place, you know, and you got a little glass of juice and a donut and a bagel. It's a real nice meeting, you know? And, and everybody gets in there and they start the meeting and, and man, all of a sudden the salesmen are like, man, I am so sick of doing it this way. You know, we need to do it this way. If we did it this way, we'd make more money, we'd have more commission. And, and then the marketing people are like, well, that is never gonna work. You know, our idea is this way. We need to go in this direction. This is a new product and our products are old and they're no good. We need to go to this direction. And, and then the engineers and the workers are like, oh, that's terrible. And the office manager is like, no, it's got to be done this way. It doesn't work in the office if you don't do it this way. And the owner says, well, what I was wanting to tell you guys, and they just talk over him. Has anyone ever talked over you before? You know, like, like he, did, he just has to be quiet, you know? And then they go on a little more, and the salesmen are going, I want it this way, I want it that way, I want it, we're going to do this, no, we're going to do that. And the owner tries to speak again, and, and, and finally he says, hey, guys, if you'll just open up the, the book I gave you, the little, you know, folder I gave you, I, I give my, and they don't know to hear him, you know? One guy hears him. One of the salesmen looks at him, and says, oh, yeah, and he looks through it a little bit, and he just kind of puts it down, and he goes right back to where it is, and all of a sudden somebody says, hey, we're we're not getting anywhere. This is lunch break. Let's all go to lunch. And everybody leaves and the owner's sitting there. Does he care? Is he, is he like, hey, that wasn't a big deal, you know? I know what you guys would do. You're fired, you're fired, you're fired, you're fired, right? I guess it. Maybe imagine as a family. What if as a family, you know, you're eating supper together and and it gets brought up, what, what about a move? You know, there's a new company opening up and a new position. And, man, the 17-year-old, he's got opinions. I mean, he talks for 20 minutes, you know, demanding that it be this way. And all of a sudden, the 12-year-old pipes up, and he's like, I'll tell you what, if we're moving, we are moving to the beach, and I will have nothing else but the beach, you know. And the 9-year-old jumps in, and he says, I ain't ever leaving this place again. All my friends are here. This is my neighborhood. I ain't never leaving. If you guys are leaving, I'm staying with my friends, you know. And mom's trying to get everybody covered and everything. And a couple times, Dad tries to speak out. He said, well, guys, what I have planned? And they, they, they just talk right over him, you know. And pretty soon, a food fight breaks out in there, and everybody goes to their rooms, and the dad's sitting there. And nobody ever consulted the dad. How many of you dads would that be okay with? I bet it's not okay with you. In fact, I, you know what I've found with people? A lot of times people just be at their small group and there'll be a discussion that happens about something and that a person actually knows a lot about it. Like they have a rich history on that topic and they try to get a word in a couple times and they can't get a word in and finally they get their break and they, they say what is really important about that discussion and everybody kind of looks at them and then goes right on as if they never said it all. Man, people throw down their beanie weenie and they're like, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going to a different small group. So... I guess what I'm saying is, I think it's a big deal when the people of God who are bought by the blood of Jesus, who have said, I'm denying myself and I'm taking up my cross and I'm following Jesus. If you're a born again believer here this morning, you have said that. You've said, I'm following Jesus. You've said what Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I I live by faith in the Son of God. If you're a believer here, you've said, I'm indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I belong to Jesus Christ. And I think it's a big deal for you to move to a new city or for you to take a new job or for you to sell your company or buy a company or buy a house or sell your house or get engaged or do foster care or not do foster care or adopt or not adopt or have kids or don't have kids and never seek or consult the will of God. I had this continual thing happen to me. I'll have families come in and a husband or wife comes in or maybe they come in together and and, and they'll, they'll tell me they've got this huge thing in their life. They've got this decision. They've got, they don't know what way to go. It's complicated. It's hard. It's difficult. And, and, and we'll talk it through, and they'll tell me all the factors, and everybody gets passionate. And all of a sudden, I say, hey, well, hold on. Let me just ask you one question. Have you guys prayed about this together? You know how, guys, you know how I feel about statistics, right? 
Sometimes you just make them up. So I'm making this one up. But I think it's pretty close. 82.35% of couples say, you know, no, we haven't. No, we haven't. So what James is condemning here is people who make their decisions about their life, who think about their life, who feel about their life, apart from God. Like they're not consulting God. They're not seeking God. God's not a factor in any of those things. And here's what James says about it, verse 16. He said, he says, that is boasting in your arrogance. All right, now remember, last week, whole sermon was on humility, right? Remember, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Ten commands. And then the last verse was, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you, right? Humility, humility, right? That's how you get near to God, is humility, all right? And you remember what we talked about humility? Humility is big God, little me, right? Okay, but if you're making all your plans, if you're buying and selling and moving and going and, and doing this and that and planning and future and your week, and if you're doing all of that and God is never consulted, God is not the big factor, the will of God is not what makes the decision. If you're doing all that apart from the will of God, I believe you definitely have a big me and a little God, right? Which is why James says you are prideful. You are boasting in your arrogance. All right, now, James gives us several truths here, okay, to reinforce this, all right? Truth number one is in verse 14. You can look at it there in your scriptures, okay? Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. I actually think most people live like that's not true, okay? James says you don't know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I think most people live thinking, I know what tomorrow's gonna bring. I think most folks live saying, you know what, tomorrow's going to be just like yesterday. And this Monday's going to be just like last Monday. And this Tuesday will be just like last Tuesday. And I know what's ahead for me in my week. I think that's the way that most of us live. And if you live that way, again, James says that's pride. James says you ought to realize that you literally do not know what tomorrow's going to bring. And when you live that way, there's an automatic deferring to the Lord. There's an automatic submitting to the Lord. When, when you live in a way that says, look, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I live under a sovereign God who controls the universe, and he knows what tomorrow's going to bring, but I do not know what tomorrow's going to bring. You're automatically submitting yourself to the Lord. There, there's a mindset there of realizing that I don't know tomorrow, I don't hold tomorrow, and so I'm submitting myself under that. You know, I think you'll find if you really live that way, if you really live in a way that says, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, I think you'll find that you automatically submit yourself. To, I think you'll find it's refreshing. Um, you know what a lot of anxiety and stress and worry is rooted in? It's rooted in you think you know what's coming tomorrow and you got to control it, right? See, that? that's the way. If you find yourself to be a stressed out person, a worrying person, you know, you know what that's from? You believe you know what tomorrow's got. You believe you know what's coming this week. You, you believe that all these terrible things that you believe are going to come, and you've got to somehow worry and control all that. Man, James says you, you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. There's another group of people on the other end of that spectrum. They assume the other way. They assume that tomorrow will be great. Next week will be great. Next month will be great. And they assume you know what that, that group of people does? That group of people puts off a lot of things that ought to be done because they assume they know what tomorrow's gonna bring. They assume they'll always have a gospel opportunity with their kids. They assume they can always teach the scriptures to their grandkids. There's always gonna be another day. But here's what James says. James says, you don't know 
what tomorrow will bring. See, presuming that you know what tomorrow brings means you assume you have time, you have opportunities, and you don't need to act today. But believing that we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, you know what that does? It does a couple things to people. Here's what I've seen. First thing it does is it doesn't devastate people when their plans don't come about. I've noticed there's a certain type of person that believes their life's going to go this way, things are going to go this way. Here's how next week's going to go. Here's how our family's going to go. Here's how our job's going to go. And man, when that doesn't happen, it's like somebody run over them with a milk truck. You know, you know I mean, it's just, it's just devastating. You know why? Because they assumed they knew what tomorrow would bring. I found that people that believe that they really don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, I, I find those people are dependent upon the Lord. Like, like they, don't, they don't have to make themselves and remind themselves to, to pray about stuff. Like, they're just dependent upon the Lord. I find that those folks tend to be easily steerable, okay? You know, the, the folks that really believe I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, they tend to be the folks that when something happens, they're like, well, I wasn't expecting that, but you know what? What's God going to do here? Like, what, is, what does this mean for us? Like, God, what, how do you want us to live this out? Like, they're easily, they're not on the floor wiped out, run over by the truck. They're up on their feet saying, God, this is new. You know, God, how, how do you want us to live? You see, what James says in verse 14, he says, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And then he says, number two, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. You know what James is saying? He's saying a couple things there. Your life is brief and your life is fragile. It's brief and it's fragile. All right, let me read you some scripture. Psalm 39, verse 4. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Job understood this. Job chapter 7, verse 6, he says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is but a breath. In verse 9, he says, As the cloud fades and vanishes, so he who goes down to Sheol does not come up, and he who returns to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Job says, My life is brief. I looked it up this morning. The average lifespan for an American man is 76 years. Now, here's the good news. Good news is we're a lot better off than a lot of countries. A lot of countries, it's way down from that, right? But in America, it's 76 years. That's because we got McDonald's, and we know how to eat fast food. It makes us live longer, you know? So 76 years is 27,740 days. 27,740 days. I've already used up 17,520. That means that I have around 10,000 days left. However, James told me not to think that way, didn't he? He told me I shouldn't think that way. In fact, the psalmist said I shouldn't think that way. In fact, the way the Bible tells me to think is, you know how many days I've got left? One. How many do I know I have? One. Do I know that I'll live to 76? I do not know that. I don't know that I'll live that long. Did you guys, anybody do their list of 100? Remember when we did this back in October? Yeah? You're supposed to write down 100 people that you were hoping to disciple. You're hoping to, you know, have, a, have some kind of Christ-centered relationship with. You're hoping to share the gospel with. So I, I did that. That was back in October, I think, is when we did that. 
I looked at my list this weekend, two of the people on there, actually the person in the number one slot and a person in about the number 20 slot are gone. Not, they didn't move away. They're gone from this world. We're just here for a little time. Our time here is brief, and then you'll be gone. I was, I was listening to somebody this weekend, and he said something that I knew because I do a lot of funerals. Um, I often feel for the last person in their generation, you know? But I, I, really, I really started thinking about that in my own family, and man, it, it, kinda, it kind of got me. You know, you got Jason and Emma, Hannah and Addie, Haddon and Avery, Haven and Asher. Somebody on that list, most likely, will bury everybody else. You thought about that? And I know you guys know that. You've, you've probably had, you know, in your family, there's probably been the last one in a generation. But I just started thinking, that's going to happen pretty quickly in my family. Somebody in those eight is going to bury everybody else. And then they'll die. And then very shortly after, this is true, guys, I'm sorry. Very shortly after, nobody in this world will remember the Dirks family. Nobody will remember that we lived on Cheyenne Drive. In fact, it's kind of funny to think about, but there'll come a day when there isn't a Cheyenne Drive. Nobody will remember that I pastored Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. Most likely, there'll come a day when there isn't a Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church. Now, I know what you're thinking. If you'd have wanted to be depressed, you could have just stayed home, right? <laughs> I understand. I understand. I'm, I'm just trying to be faithful to the Bible. So, is that just depressing stuff? Well, I don't I actually think it has a I think I think it has a pretty important purpose, okay? So Psalm 90, Psalm 90 says this, the years of our life are 70 or by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble and they're soon gone and we fly away. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days, one, that we may get a heart of wisdom. There it is, guys. Do you see that? I think that's what James is saying. He said, man, if, if, you, if you look at your life as, man, you know what's going to happen and you know what's going to happen tomorrow and you've got tomorrow figured out and you're in control and this is the way it's going to go, you will not live wisely. But if you, if you take a biblical view of your life and you realize that I have today and that I must do what must be done today, then I, I, think, I think that'll change your life. You'll, you'll do one of two things. You'll go the Hollywood route. You know what the Hollywood route is? You'll make a bucket list, right? Like, I want to go to Seven Falls, and I want to go to uh, Mount Everest, and I want to go to, you know, Branson and eat at Cracker Barrel. You know, I want to do all these things, and, and, and you'll make a big list. And then here's what, according to Hollywood, what you got to do next is you got to find a really, 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 really rich guy who's dying at the same time as you. And then you go with him, right? And you, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but you know, that, that's what you do. That's what Hollywood says you do. You know, if you, if you realize your days are short, then you make this list, all these places you want to go and all these trinkets you want to buy, and you go find a rich guy, and, 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 and then you go with him and do all those things, okay? Or what the Bible would say is, you do the will of the Lord. That's what James says, right? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. You see, we got to be careful that we don't live as if God has no will for our life, okay? 
Please don't be a person that just says, okay, I've been given life, and I'll just do whatever I want with it. I'll just, I'll just do whatever I want, and, and then I'll die. Hey, you, you, will, you will waste your life. God has a will for your life. There's a bunch of different ways that we talk about God's will. First way we talk about it is the things he has commanded, okay? So, so let me give you some really clear examples in the scripture. So uh, Ephesians chapter 5 says, says this, is, this is the will of the Lord, or this, this is God's, God's will for you. In verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And then he says in the next verse, to be filled with the Spirit. All right, so what is, what is the will of God for you? The will of God for you is to be filled with spirit. Who am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about you and 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 you. You know, the will of the Lord for you is for you to surrender to the Spirit of God. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I was looking at this passage the other day, verse 3, it says, this is the will of God, that you abstain from sexual morality. He says, this is God's will. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That you, you know, in other words, that's God's will for everybody, right? So there's a whole bunch of that stuff in the Scripture, and you, you should know what that is because this is God's will for you. And then there, there's another category of God's will that is what we call maybe his, his hidden will. And by hidden, I don't mean like he keeps you from knowing it. It's just you can't, you can't open up your Bible and say, what page is it that says where Jason and Emma should live? You know, what, what page is it where it says where Jason and Emma should, should pastor or that we should pastor? You know, like, like there's certain things that aren't specifically in the Bible, right? And those are things that you've got to, okay, God, what is your will for us? Like, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to spend our days? You know, how, where, where, where should we go? What should we do? Like, there's that kind of, kind of a hidden or specific will. And then there's another, there's another aspect of the will of God. I really like this one. That is what, what theologians call his will of decree, okay? Now, his, his will of decree is different from his will of command, okay? So, for instance, his will of command, abstain from sexual morality. Does everybody do that? No, All right? There's a lot of people that say, God, I don't care what you think. I'm doing this, Okay? But his will of decree, there are certain things that God says, this is going to happen, and I'm telling you, folks, there's nobody on heaven or earth that can stop it, okay? So in Daniel chapter 4, like, listen to this, I'm going to pick up reading in verse uh, 34. He says, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him what you have done. And so there's another aspect of God's will. that I'm telling you guys, Jesus is coming back. He is coming back. It is the will of God that Jesus Christ split those skies and that he returns. That's going to happen. I don't care if 7 billion people on the planet vote no. He's still coming back, all right? It is the will of God that it be done. And then, actually, the Bible says that this earth will be burned up. The environmentalists, they hate this part, okay? They hate this part because they're going to save it forever. No, actually, the will of God is this earth that will be burned up and there will be a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells and that's going to happen it doesn't matter who's against it okay so God has a will and so here's what James is saying don't live like he doesn't don't live like you just have this blank check to be like well I've got my life I'm going to do whatever I want Jesus tells a story about a guy in Luke let me read it to you it's Luke 12 begins in verse 16 and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. This guy's got so much, 
so much money, so much crops, that he doesn't know where to store it. This is a perplexing problem that many of us have, right? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Now, actually, what's wrong with that? Like, he's, he's got a pretty solid retirement plan going here, right? Here's what's wrong with it. Verse 20. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The problem is not that he's building larger barns. You know, there's times where you need to build larger barns. The problem is not that he had a great harvest. Praise God for great harvest, right? What's the problem? The problem is he left God's will completely out of his thinking. He just didn't think about it. The pride of life is thinking that your life is your own and that you control it and that you can do whatever you want with it. You see, in verse 15, James says, you should say, if the Lord wills. And not only does he say, if the Lord wills, he says, if the Lord wills, we will live. Do you see that? In other words, starting out, James says, you you should have this attitude. If God wills, I'll live. (laughs) If If God wills that I live tomorrow, I'll live tomorrow. And then he says, and do this or that. Okay, the foundation is that I'll not do anything unless the Lord wills it. So here's here's a hard pill for us Americans to swallow. Our life is not totally in our control. You know, whether or not you get cancer, whether or not you're in a car accident, whether or not you have a child with a disability, whether or not you have a business that succeeds or fails, here's the reality, guys. That is not all in your control. Now, man, I I know there's some of you that just rubs the wrong way. You want to come back and you want to say, hold on, Pastor. I I, want to disagree. I I'm a hard worker, I'm a wise planner, I've read the right books, I've got the right training, I have the right skills, I build the right relationships, I make wise decisions, I don't spend money foolishly, so I am in control. First of all, praise God that you're that way. Like, for real, like that, praise God that that God has enabled some of us to make some wise decisions in life. But I want to disagree with you on, on two points, okay? Number one, most all those things that you mentioned there, I mentioned them, you know, but that I mentioned there, those are all gifts, aren't they? They're all gifts. Where'd you get that hard work ethic? Did you do that yourself? Where'd you get that wise planning? Did you just make that up? Where'd you get your, where'd you get a body that's able to work hard and plan wisely? Where'd you get health to do all that? Where'd, where'd you get the books? Where'd you get the skills? I could take you to a thousand places in the world. They don't have any of that stuff. And even if they did have it, nobody could read them. And even if they could read them, they wouldn't work there because the economy's broke. And then number two, all of that, all of that, all of your work, all of your skills, all of your training, all your wise decisions, all of that would still not mean success unless the Lord blesses. John the Baptist said something really interesting. When people started following Jesus, he said in John 3, 27, he said, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him. You see, I believe 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that you've not been given? And I think the answer to that's nothing. You know, one, one of the cool things about having a homeless shelter is that 
um, Lincoln Avenue's kind of been thrust into the community spotlight. And man, one of the cool things about that is I get, I get to listen to a lot of opinions about stuff, you know, from our community, from people that I normally wouldn't talk to. Man, it's, 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 it's fascinating, you know. I got one person told me I'm, I got to do this, and another person told me I got to do the opposite thing, you know. And, and so there's a whole bunch of that going on. And, and one of the things that I've discovered through that process is that I, I, I think fundamentally, fundamentally differently than a lot of folks in our community. And, it, and it's about this, this one point right here. And you may disagree with me, and that's, that's fine. You actually got a lot of people on your side. But here's, here's the thing that we disagree about. I believe you take any sin, any foolish decision, any tragic mess up, I believe I could have done any of those things had it not been the grace of God. I just believe that. There are folks that disagree. There are folks that say, nope, nope. I'm smart. And I'm strong, and I'm wise, and therefore, I'm different than those people that have tragedy. I, I just, I look at that differently, guys. And again, I, I'm not saying people aren't smart. I'm not saying people aren't wise. There are some super wise people out there. But I'm just saying this. I really believe about myself. Anything I have, it's from the Lord. I, I just, I believe that. Now, I know it's, it's, it's scary to think that, there's this will of the Lord. There's this sovereign control that there's this. It's scary to think I could go tomorrow. I feel good. I think, I think my pulse is good. Breathing's good, you know. It's kind of scary to think this could be my last day. I, I think a lot of times we, we were going to really believe that if I eat clean, and I don't even know what that means. I just like to say it because other people say it. If we eat clean and exercise and wear my seatbelt and buy a car with a high safety rating and work hard and save and tell my kids not to stop, talk to strangers, everything will be okay. I just don't think that's true. You know why? Because I think my life is not my own. And, and I, think, I think I don't know what tomorrow will bring. Like, I really don't. But you know what I do know? And what I hope you know? I know this. My God's in charge. I know this. This is even better. He loves me. He loves me like nobody on this planet loves me. I know this. I know he's, Romans 8, 28, and he's working all things out for good. Isn't that cool? Like, like he tells me he's working all the pain and suffering and tragedy and, and bad out of this life, and he's working it all together for good. He tells me that. He tells me that all the glory that's coming is so wonderful, it will actually eclipse all the bad. Can you imagine that? All the horrible stuff in this world. Can you imagine that what is coming for me, and I hope for you, is so good, it will just overpower all the bad. And I believe that. And so I think you and I today can rest in the will of the Lord. Now, let's, let's talk more about Paul, okay? So, so, we said, all right, Paul's a guy that makes plans, and you should make plans. Paul's a guy that he makes goals, and you should make goals. He's ambitious, okay? And so I, I want us to basically take what we've learned about James 
And, and, and let's, let's run it back through Paul, and let's see if they're, if they're together or if they're apart on this deal, okay? So back to Romans 15. Let's look at Paul's plans to go to Jerusalem, and then to Rome, and then to Spain, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, let's look and see if that agrees with what James says, how we ought to think about life, okay? So I want to start by, by showing you how Paul thinks about himself. So Romans 15, verse 16, he says, I'm a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So first of all, Paul says, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing what God's called me to do. I, I am, I'm a servant of God. I'm a priest of God. I'm, I'm doing the will of God. And then he says in verse 18, he says, for I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by the word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, and by the power of the Spirit of God. Paul says, whatever I do, I'm doing through the power of the Spirit of God. And then he says in verse 20, he says, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel where where Christ is already, not, not, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And then verse 21 is a quote from the Old Testament. He says, those who have never heard will be told and they'll see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says, what I'm doing is actually, I got it from the scriptures, all right? So Paul says, I'm doing what God called me to do. I'm doing it in the power of Jesus. And I'm doing it what the scriptures told me to do, all right? Now go down a little further. Go to verse 29. In verse 29, he says, I know that when I come to you, when I make it to Rome, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He says, I know that I'm coming under the blessing of Jesus. And then look at verse 32, the last verse in this section. He says, so that by God's will, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? By God's will, I may come to you, make it to Rome. With joy, you may, we may be refreshed in your company. All right, so what did we learn about Paul? Paul was making plans, but you know what he was doing? He was doing what God called him to do by the power of the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, through the will of God. Right? I think they agree, don't you? He made plans, yeah, but he made them with the will of God right in the center. You know what verse 17 says? This is actually kind of a standalone verse. You could use it for a lot of things. But in verse 17 of James, it says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. You see, this is one of those passages where I think you might be tempted to leave and say, it's not a big deal. God doesn't care if I don't include him in my plans, as long as I'm not doing something bad. James says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. So here's what's true, okay? Bad news. Your life's a mist, okay? Your life is, in other words, it's brief. There's been, have you ever been to a cemetery? My wife likes to go to cemeteries. She likes to go to really old ones. And isn't it interesting just to see all these people lived. They were healthy. They were vital. They were there. They were worshiping maybe. Now they're gone. You know what? If Christ tarries, somebody will go to the seminary, seminary, cemetery, they might go to seminary too. They'll go to the cemetery and they'll stub their foot on that little rock that says Jason Dirks. And they'll be like, who was that guy? Your life's brief. It's a mist. And if you're not connected to Jesus and if you don't do the will of God, you'll die quickly and none of it will ever matter. But if you are joined to Jesus, okay? If according to the will of God, you turn from your sins and put your faith in the perfect life and the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ and you're joined to his resurrection. Let, let, let me tell you how Paul ends 
the greatest chapter in the Bible on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He ends it this way. He says, therefore, because Jesus is raised from the dead, because you can be joined to his resurrection, he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, if you're joined to Jesus, you're going to die unless Christ comes back before you pass. You're going to die. But because you're joined to him, you're going to live. And you're going to live forever. And you know what that verse just said? That said, what you did for Jesus, what you did in the will of God, will not be in vain. It will last. It will matter forever. So, let's number our days. How many we got? We got one. I hope you do the will of God today. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just help us to think rightly about our lives. God, I know it matters. Uh, God, we want to think with humility. We want to think with, um, God, just um, submitting to you that, that you're in control of all things. You're in control of our life. You're in control of our death. And Father, we pray that we might think and plan and, and have goals and aspirations and ambition according to the will of God. Father, help us with that. In Jesus' name, amen.